Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Two Ways to Miss the Gospel Offer. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's scripture reading comes from John 18, verses 15 to 27. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. God bless the reading of his word. You know, there are two ways that you can miss out on the gospel offer. One is by thinking you're too good to need it. The other is by thinking you are too bad to ever receive it from God. And what we need to do is take a look at those assumptions that some people have in light of this story today. The first understanding that some people have that they're too good to need the gospel, that would keep you from missing the gospel offer because you're never going to reach out for something that you don't think you need. But the other way to miss that gospel offer is if you think you have fallen too far or too far away for God to ever be able to reach you. Now, this passage today can help us understand how to correct that way of thinking. We began a study last week of the last four chapters of the Gospel of John. We've been in the study of the Gospel of John for a long time in this church, breaking it up from time to time with different things to study. But now we, Lord willing, we conclude it this summer with these last four chapters. Now, we see two trials today. Uh, we see the trial of Jesus, or at least the beginning of it. But we also see a trial of sorts uh, from, Simon, uh, from Simon Peter. And what we need to do is realize that these two trials can help us understand how not to miss the gospel offer. First of all, if you think you're too good to need saving, let Peter's trial convict you. It might help you if you have your sermon notes out in the bulletin or from the bulletin. And this first point is important. If you think you're too good to need saving, let Peter's trial convict you. 
Some of us don't feel like we need the message of Christianity. Maybe you're one of those persons. You, you, you acknowledge, you're glad that uh, it's around for those people who've messed up in big ways. They've dealt with addictions, they've come out of prison, and, and you're glad that the message of Christianity has helped them straighten up their life. But since you and your mind haven't messed up that badly in such big ways, you don't feel that the gospel is for you. But Simon Peter's story should make you reconsider your assumptions. His story is more universal than many of us may at first think. I think every one of us have an image in our mind of the person we want to be known as. We want to be known as moral. We want to be known as kind. We want to be known as loyal. We want to be known as competent. The reality is, though, from time to time, there are things that happen in our lives that reveal to us that we are not the person we wanted to be. I heard someone say of a middle-aged man one time, he had a bright future in his past. And that's the image I think of when I think of Simon Peter. He had a bright future in his past. You remember way back when we first started this study through the Gospel of John, we first met Simon Peter when he first met Jesus. And we read way back in John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So the word Cephas in Aramaic or the word Peter, Petros in Greek, mean the same thing. They mean rock. And Jesus said at another point in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, rock, and on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus was saying, I see in you this rock-like quality that is strong enough and stable enough upon which I can build a movement that will last beyond my time on this earth. Now, wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Wouldn't you like to know that Jesus was thinking that and expecting that of you? And yet in this passage that Anna Grace read to us, there, there wasn't anything rock-like. There wasn't anything stable at all in Simon Peter's reaction to his great temptations. It's interesting that all four Gospels record Simon Peter's three denials. I say that because you, you know if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that there are slight differences and one gospel will highlight this part of the story, one gospel will highlight this part of the story, but all four of them report on Simon Peter's three denials after Jesus' arrest. I read one time after a batter hit a game-running home run off of Chicago Cubs relief pitcher Bob Patterson, the reporter asked Patterson what kind of pitch did he throw that that man hit out of the park. And he said, well, it was, a, it, was a, it was a combination between a screwball and a change-up. I call it a screw-up. And, and that's, that's exactly what, is, what Simon Peter is throwing here. He's throwing this bad pitch. Three times we see in this passage, he had an opportunity to stand for Jesus, and he did not. Now, this all took place within the span of just a few hours in the outer courtyard uh, outside of the house where Jesus had been brought after his arrest. Uh, now, Simon Peter, we, we read last week that Jesus was arrested, and, and now we read that, that, that Simon Peter was following behind this procession as they entered into Jerusalem and entered into the high priest's house. And maybe Simon Peter was still trying to concoct this idea of rescuing his Lord. It's interesting that John says another disciple who was known to the high priest had been uh, given access into the courtyard. Uh, we don't know exactly who this was. Many scholars believe it was the Apostle John himself. 
The Apostle John was also often with the Apostle Peter, and, and also in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John never refers to himself by name. He is referred to as another disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this may be John himself, the author of this Gospel, who's, who's been given access. He's got some sort of family relationship with people who are higher up. Uh, and so he's given access into the courtyard, and he vouches for Peter. He speaks for Peter, and the, and the servant girl that's at the front of the door says, oh, you must be one of his disciples too, and, Jesus, and, and, and Simon Peter denies it. And, and then we read that it was cold in the courtyard, and there was a charcoal fire going, and Peter drew near these, 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 these men and these servants of these men, uh, who had earlier arrested Jesus, and he was warming himself by this charcoal fire. And somebody said, you know, I think I recognize you. Weren't you one of his followers? And again, he denied it. But then we read that someone raised the issue who had been part of the very group that had been out at the garden to arrest Jesus. You remember what we looked at last week? It was about 200, we believe it was about 200 Roman soldiers and Jewish policemen who combined together to go out and arrest Jesus. And it was at that point, if you remember last week, that Simon the fisherman decided he wanted to be Simon the caped crusader. And he pulled out this short sword and he operated it about as competently as you could imagine a fisherman who was not a trained soldier could do. He swiped at the person who was closest to him and all he did was maim the servant of one of those soldiers or policemen. And now somebody who's a relative of that person he had maimed who was out in the garden at that time, looked at Simon Peter and said, you know, it was dark uh, and the flames were flickering, but I think that was you. And Simon Peter outright denied it a third time. Now, Simon Peter's failure is the story of all of us who wake up one day and realize that we have drifted far away from the person we intended to be. And I use that word drifted deliberately because when I look at th these three denials of Simon Peter, I see somebody who within the span of just a couple of hours drifted remarkably. There is this progression to his denials of Jesus. At first it starts uh, pretty unremarkably. It was this little insignificant to his mind, this insignificant servant girl who asked him much to his surprise if he was one of the followers of Jesus. And I imagine at this point, he didn't think it was all that significant to deny it. After all, he needed to get into the gate if he was going to rescue Jesus. That was probably on his mind. Isn't this how it all starts out for us? We start out in young adulthood. We start out in our careers. And there is this, this temptation to compromise. And it's relatively insignificant, or so it seems at the time. And we decide, you know what, I can't make any changes in this company if I don't get a seat at the table. I can't uh, make any changes in this company if I don't get my foot in the door. And so we go ahead and justify that little compromise to allow ourselves to play the game. And then comes the next step in Simon Peter's progression down into denying Jesus. He's cold and there's a charcoal fire. And though it's the enemies of Jesus who are gathered around that fire, for his own comfort, he gathers with them. And I wonder if that isn't the same thing that happens to us sometimes. Again, in our adult years, in our career years, we just go along and get along. We just sort of blend in with the rest of the group. We laugh at the joke even though it's inappropriate. We ignore the company policy even though we know it's unjust. We don't do anything about it because we just would rather stay comfortable and be with the in crowd. But then comes the furthest step of all. 
and it was too late by this point. Simon Peter had made these little, what he in his mind regarded as insignificant denials, and now when he's really in trouble, when somebody thinks he absolutely identifies Simon Peter as the one who attacked his own relative, Simon Peter's gone too far down the road, and he denies Jesus again. And isn't that the case for some of us, that we've made these little compromises, these little justifications along the way, and when the big test comes, the loud test comes, we don't have any wherewithal to be able to do anything about resisting it anymore. And so we need to recognize that Simon Peter's story is, is, is very much like our story. And you notice at the end of Simon Peter's three denials, take a look at verse 27, it says, at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, if you've never read the story before, you wonder why that detail is in there, right? You, Simon Peter didn't explain why he included that detail, at least at this point. The Apostle John, that is, didn't explain why, why Simon Peter heard this sound at this particular time. Uh, but it is very significant because the Bible tells us that earlier that very evening, while Jesus was having what would be his last meal with his disciples on this side of the cross, uh, he tells them that he is going to be arrested, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be lifted up and crucified. And Simon Peter says, that's not going to happen, Lord. Simon Peter says, I'm going to defend you to the death if that's necessary. And what did Jesus say at the Last Supper? According to John chapter 13, verse 38, we looked at this a few months ago. He said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In other words, Jesus was saying, Simon Peter, you've made this declaration now, but this night is not even going to end before you have failed to be the person you wanted to be. And exactly, that's exactly what we see in John chapter 18, that as the night ended and the rooster was announcing the dawn, Simon Peter had betrayed his Lord, denied his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. You know, in Luke's account of this prediction, we're looking at the Gospel of John, but in the Gospel of Luke, in his account of the Last Supper and Jesus predicting uh, Simon Peter's uh, uh, denial, here's what we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Life sifts us, doesn't it? That's the image Jesus used. In the first century world and in third world countries even today, uh, uh, wheat is sifted. And so the, the heads of the wheat stalks are broken off and they're put in these, these woven baskets, very shallow, wide baskets. And the, 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 the heads of the wheat are, are put in there and then the person will sift it. They'll, they'll shift it back and forth. And the rough bottom of that woven basket will knock the chaff off the grain. And then from time to time, they quit rocking it back and forth, and they toss it into the air, and the wind blows the chaff away, and what falls down into the basket is just the wheat. And so the sifting process reveals what's behind the chaff. The sifting process reveals what's really there. And, and so what Jesus was saying is, Satan, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You're going to go through some experiences tonight that will reveal who you really are. And you're not going to like what you find. Now, Satan sifts us today as well. He shakes us through our experiences and through our trials so that he can show us who we really are 
on the inside. Satan sifts your integrity at work. He sifts the loyalty that you profess for your friends. Satan sifts your marriage vows. He sifts the trust that you say that you have in God. And we're not always happy with that, with what that sifting process reveals about us. And so Simon Peter's story is a caution for those of us who are going to miss the gospel because we think we're too good to need it. If we think that we're fine on our own, that we haven't messed up bad enough to need God's gospel, Simon Peter's story should remind us that every one of us have gone through experiences in our lives that reveal that we're not who we wanted to be. We're not who we meant to be when we started out this life. But even as Simon Peter's trial reveals that, Jesus's trial reveals something else. I want you to write the second thing down. If you think you're too bad for God to save you, let Jesus's trial console you. So Peter's trial should convict you, but Jesus's trial should console you. How so? Well, Jesus was on trial as a part of the process that would eventually bring him to the cross. And what happened at the cross? The cross is the place where Jesus died to take away our sin. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, I'm sure you know, the uh, repentant worshiper would come to the temple and he would bring a sacrificial lamb or some other appropriate animal. And when that animal was sacrificed, the sins of that repentant worshiper went away with the death of that animal. And, and we are told in the New Testament that that's exactly what Jesus came to do. In Jesus, our creator came to be our sacrificial lamb. Right at the early part of the Gospel of John, we read this in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist points to him and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now in the Old Testament sacrificial system, what had to happen before a lamb could be offered up for sacrifice? You, as the repentant worshiper, had to bring that lamb to a priest. And that priest had to investigate that lamb for any blemishes. And if that lamb had no flaws, no blemishes, then it was an acceptable sacrifice. Now, what is happening here in John chapter 18? Where is Jesus? He's not just before any old priest, is he? He's before the high priest. What is the high priest doing? He is inspecting him. He is interrogating him. And at the end of Jesus' trials, Jesus is going to be shown as without blemish, as dying unjustly, dying innocently. You see what's going on here? What we see is, is Jesus uh, being inspected and interrogated in the process of being the lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. And, and that's why it's so important for us to understand just exactly why the Apostle John laid things out the way he did. Did you notice how he skillfully wove together the trial of Simon Peter and the trial of Jesus together. And when we get to one of Simon Peter's denials, and then we're, then we're inside the house where Annas, the high priest, is investigating Jesus. And then we're back to the trials of, uh, of Simon Peter again out in the courtyard. But you see, the Apostle John wove these things together to let us know that it's not just about the trials of Simon Peter. You know, if it was just about the trials of Simon Peter, here's how this sermon would have gone today. I would have laid out for you what Simon Peter did, and I would have said, don't be like Peter. And then I would have said, let us pray, and we would have been done with the service. 
But you see, in this passage, we are seeing a weaving together of Simon Peter's failures along with Jesus's uh, investigation by the high priest in preparation to be the sacrifice for Simon Peter and for all of us as well. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, we read this. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the, to the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, if you think about it, that right there, that explains what we're trying to do as a church every Sunday morning. When we come into this place, we sing and we study the Bible, and we get together in our life groups, and we encourage each other, and we support each other. And, and here are the two reasons we do it. In the words of the Apostle John, my dear children, I sing these things to you. I preach these things to you. I teach these things to you in a life group. I counsel these things to you so that you will not sin. Well, that's one of the reasons then that we get together, so we can learn how to be more and more pleasing to God. But he goes on to say, but if any of us do sin, understand we have a Savior in Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's the other reason that we get together as a church, to recognize that, that uh, there is a way that we're supposed to live, but when we do not live that way, we have a Savior. We have a wonderful Savior, and we can lean on Him and trust in Him. And so you see, in the Christian life, we can both strive and rest at the same time. What else can you, where else can you, can you experience that? You can't experience that at two-a-days in football. You can't experience that in the stresses of work. You can't experience that trying to meet the demands of band camp. You can't do that. But in, 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 in the relationship with Jesus Christ, we can strive and rest at the same time. We can strive to be the people that God wants us to be and at the same time rest. And Jesus is abiding, enduring, unending love for us. I wonder if you've ever heard about the uh, Zygarnik effect. The Zygarnik effect is uh, referred to in some circles in software development these days, but that's fairly recently. The Zygarnik effect was originally named after a Russian psychologist, Bluma Zygarnik, and she observed that unfinished tasks dominate more of our brain cells than finished tasks. And there was another psychologist, his name is Perry Buffington, who wrote about this, and he said, failures take on a life of their own because the brain remembers incomplete tasks or failures longer than any success or completed activity. When a project or a thought is completed, the brain places it in a special memory. The brain no longer gives the project priority or active working status, and the bits and pieces of the memory of the achieved situation begin to decay. But failures have no closure. The brain continues to spin the memory, trying to come up with ways to fix the mess and move it from active to inactive status. Some of us are suffering under that kind of effect today because we, our brains continue to go over and over again, over our failures, over our screw-ups, over our mess-ups, trying to fix that. Even though it's in the past and it's come and gone, we keep trying to fix it. We keep trying to resolve the trouble. We have failed to apply the gospel to our lives. You see, that's, that's why some of us are living in defeat right now. That's why some of us don't uh, worship with any joy. That's why some of us don't have any sense of, of, of value in communicating the good news to other people because we have believed the gospel, but we have not applied it. 
You come in here and you sing the songs of the faith. You come in here because that's your routine. Somewhere along the way, somebody told you about the gospel and you say, that's good, that's good news. But you've never applied it to your own failures. You've never applied it to your own flaws. You know, if you had this itchy bug bite on your hand and your wife said, you know, we've got some ointment for that. Now you could believe in theory that your wife is telling the truth that yeah, if you went and got that ointment, it would do some good. And you might know exactly where to go to get that ointment because she's explained it to you. But until you go and get that ointment and apply it to your itchy bug bite, it's not gonna do you any good, right? Some of us, we have been told the gospel by other people. And maybe in theory, in our head, we know it to be the truth and it could make a difference in our lives, but we have not applied it to our own failures, to our own flaws, to our own sins. We know in theory that Jesus died for the sins of the world. We've just never applied that death of Jesus to that sin that grieves us, that sin that wounds us, the sin that, that our minds continue to spend over and over again in regret regarding. And that, 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 that's the problem with, with, with many of us is we know the gospel, we just don't apply it. You know, this is what um, uh, John Newton wrote to somebody one time. So many of us know John Newton as the author of uh, the, the, the words to Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader and then he was gloriously saved and uh, he got out of the slave trade. He became a, a pastor. He wrote Amazing Grace along with some other hymns as well. And there were people who would write him as a pastor about their problems, about their difficulties. And one, one young man wrote about his grief, his frustration, his inability to forgive himself. He knew in theory that God had forgiven him, but he couldn't forgive himself. Does this sound like anybody you know? Could it be you? And Newton wrote to him uh, in reply, and he said this, you say that you feel overwhelmed with guilt and a sense of unworthiness. Well, indeed, you cannot be too aware of the evils inside of yourself, but you may be, indeed you are, improperly controlled and affected by them. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer, which is wrong. You see what he's saying? Robert Murray McChain uh, uh, wisely said, for every one look at your sins, take 10 looks at Christ. You know what he was saying? He was saying that instead of mauling over and circling over and, and, and thinking over again and again all the things that, that you have ruined, all the things that you've done wrong, all the ways that you failed to be the person you wanted to be. Every time you take a look at that, every time you think that, every time it crosses your mind, 10 times more, take a look at what Jesus has done for you and rejoice again at what he has provided for you. We need to remember that. We need to hold on to it. Now, our story about Simon Peter isn't finished. In a, in a few weeks, we'll be a couple of chapters later, and we'll see how Simon Peter was restored by the risen Christ. He was restored by the risen Christ to fellowship with Jesus, and he was restored by the risen Christ to being the rock upon which Christ would build his church. We're going to take a look at that at a couple of weeks when we're in John chapter 21. But what I want us to do today is just hover over to think over Simon Peter's failure and Simon Peter's Lord. Because Simon Peter's failure 
will speak to those of us who, are th- who think we're too good to need the gospel. And Simon Peter's Savior will help us, those of us who think we're too bad, too far fallen, for God to ever want us around. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, there were several symbols that were used in the early years of Christianity to sort of mark a place as Christian. Uh, Not surprisingly, one of the most popular symbols was a cross. But you may not have known this, that next to that, one of the most popular symbols of early Christianity was a rooster. Uh, Archaeologists have been able to identify the image of a rooster marked at places in the Roman catacombs where early Christians hid away to worship in Rome when they were under persecution. Uh, Images of roosters show up in tombs in various cities around the ancient world where Christian bodies were buried. In the ninth century, it became a tradition for a lot of churches in the area of Italy to put roosters on top of weather vanes on top of their church buildings. The oldest known rooster weather vane that we had. It used to be on a church building. It's now in an Italian museum. It's 1,200 years old, and that's, that's, a, that's a remarkable thing. Now, it wasn't just in Italy. It was in other areas as well uh, in, in the surrounding area. All right, we've got, we've got some conversation going on. Maybe somebody needs to check their phone. Okay, there we go. Sounded like we had some sort of emergency alert for the area, so, okay. So the thing that's important to, to, to me to highlight to you and to focus on is that, that the idea of the rooster, the image of the rooster, was something that was an early mark, an early indicator of Christianity. Isn't that interesting? That the earliest Christians used the symbol of Simon Peter's biggest failure as a mark of early Christianity. You know what that tells me? That tells me that you and I are not the heroes of this story. When we share our testimony, our story is not about how wonderful we are, but how wonderful Jesus is. And so we need to remember the rooster and we need to remember the cross. The rooster reminds us that we're never too good to need saving. The cross reminds us that we're never too far away from God to get saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to apply the gospel this morning. We want you to do, we we want to do more than just believe in, in its power to change us. We want to apply the gospel to our own specific sins and failures. And we pray for those who are missing out on this gospel offer. Take what they hear from us, take what they see in us, and use it to help them understand the gospel offers for them too. And we pray these things, Lord, in our Savior's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled, Facing Your Pontius Pilate. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.